Welcome to Two Button Crew Podcast. This is the do's and don'ts of console design. I'm Scott, and I'm and joined I'm Glenn. by Glenn. <laughs> hey, you snuck in there. Good job. Look at you and your initiative. How are you doing? I'm doing uh, fairly well. Lots of projects going on, reviews, RPGs. Mm-hmm. A lot of stuff going on behind the scenes. Uh, hopefully some of it will be... Well, I can't guarantee it'll be done by the time that this podcast comes out, but uh, hopefully it'll be further along. Well, we're looking forward to it, and uh, Simeon and I have done one stream in recent history because we no longer work at the same office. We're not seeing each other as much, so we'll probably get together once a month and do streams, so watch for that one in the month of March. We'll get back together and play something. Uh, but for now, let's make the 28th episode of the podcast, shall we? Let's, uh, let's do it. So you had the idea for this episode. Why? Well, because the uh, Switch's fourth anniversary is coming up, and I figured this, this is something that basically since the Switch came out, uh, I, I had as an idea for the uh, podcast. Well, happy fourth switch anniversary to you. And to you, and to Nintendo fans everywhere. <laughs> it's been a good four years with the Switch, I think. Simeon and I agree that it's probably the best console Nintendo has made. But there's definitely some caveats. You can't recommend the Switch without a couple of asterisks, in my opinion. All right, well, what are they? Durability, for one. Uh, there's... Joy-Con Drift, which has just haunted the console ever since it came out. And then the dock scratching the screen. So the very mechanic that the console was designed around, sliding that system in and out of its dock actually damages itself. So there are lots of places that like won't sell you a Switch without a screen protector. Um, when I, when our patrons gave money to get Simeon a switch I went to GameStop and they're like okay but you have to get a screen protector and I was like well I already ordered one on Amazon trust me and then they let me go but um, that is something that they should have fixed by now both issues really the Joy-Con and the dock yeah so how's the screen scratching work because I'm pretty sure my switch has like I could have sworn it had like little rubber pads or something I don't know, I'd have to go back and check the dock. Maybe the dock does see. have rubber pads, but that can still scratch the screen. It's The screen is plastic, not glass, so it's okay. still susceptible to that kind of rubbing. Okay, and then. Nintendo's usually pretty good about durability. I read Iwata Asks columns about the 3DS where they're like, every new handheld we make, we drop out of a bike basket. So I think that's a very Japanese thing where lots of people are carrying their DSs around in, in bike baskets. It's just a general height that they want their things to be able to fall from and survive, even if it impacts on concrete. So what are, what are your impressions on Nintendo's durability overall? Uh, yeah, Nintendo systems are typically uh, very durable. Um, I, I think we've all heard the stories uh, about... Uh, like the Game Boy that got uh, blown up by an RPG, uh, yes. rocket-propelled grenade, not a role-playing game. 
uh, and all they had to do was <laughs> replace the uh, the screen, and it, it kept working. Um, I've and I, I kind of doubt whether or not this is true. I've I've heard stories about um, Super Nintendo's being like left outside and buried under snow, and I have no idea why you would take your Super Nintendo outside, but buried under snow, and they work uh, when the snow melts and. So I don't know if I believe that one. Uh, that that seems a little far fetched to me, just because the <laughs> setup for that would require several violations of common sense. But well, I have bad news about the world, Glenn. Common sense isn't that common. <laughs> but I agree that that may or may not have happened. But um, I think when. I think you're right. In general, they're very durable. There's a couple of just production mishaps that you hear about, like DS hinges or breaking very frequently when that first launched in 2004. But they figure that stuff out in production usually by the second run. Yeah, my um, my DS Lite actually at one point had a crack in its hinge. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I, I had to... Uh, uh, I, I was having trouble with it. The, it was the weirdest thing. The, the system would just shut off if you hit the B button too hard. And right. so I figured, oh, okay, I'll clean this myself. And so uh, I, I cracked the thing open. Those things are hard to get open. Uh, <laughs> and tried cleaning it. And then I found out that I messed up the screen where it's... I, I think it's like... I, I think the screen might have been like um, using interlace display mm-hmm. instead of progressive oh, that's and so <laughs> it looked like every other line was um not there oh no it looked dim and kind of grainy and it's like yeah. okay i screwed it up i need to to send this to a professional now and uh when they they replaced the screen they replaced the hinge as well which i actually was a little bit um <laughs> put off by at first because it didn't hinder the abilities on fold or anything it was just kind of a cosmetic thing and i thought it gave it character but you can always crack it again nobody's stopping you no nah. <laughs> <laughs> i'm i'm not i'm not going out of my way to break things i think nintendo could actually make an adjustment from now on where they could invest in some higher quality materials even if it raises the price of their systems and I say that because, do you see what parents are buying their kids these days? Eight-year-olds, seven-year-olds, they have iPhones and iPads, and there's like no expense spared. So I think Nintendo is kind of leaving money on the table by continuing to be the more affordable option. I mean, possibly, but at the same time, um, why would you want a Nintendo system when you could get something that could basically just operates as a uh, pocket computer if the Nintendo system costs just as much? I don't know. Like, as a Nintendo fan, of course, I'm going to opt for um, the Nintendo system pretty much every time. But, uh, you know, when, when you're uh, a video game illiterate uh, parent, mm-hmm. I, I can understand... Gosh, that sounded harsher than I intended, but... Well, no, it's okay. 
yeah why would you opt for that I, mm-hmm. I i don't know i guess it just depends on how strong the brand of of mario is really and a lot of parents did grow up as nintendo fans at least this generation so that might hold over for a little bit longer so if you look back at all of the consoles nintendo has made several of them are still around and alive and kicking like there's working original NESs, SNESs. Everything has been pretty durable in the long term, I think. Maybe Nintendo 64 controllers have not held up that well with their analog sticks. No, the consoles themselves are pretty mm-hmm. uh, pretty durable. I, w- I do worry about Switch, though. Like 20 years from now, how many Joy-Con are going to be operable and how long will the battery life be? (laughs) And it might be docked only 20 years from now. Yeah, and that is a major concern. Um, If there's anything I've learned from kind of getting back into retro gaming, like I uh, have been playing some a a lot of GameCube games. Well, not a lot, but uh, a few here of late, uh, ever since my Virtua Quest, uh, that was a thing article. And so GameCube memory cards, I've, I've always had a, a bit of, that's always been a bit of a sore spot for me because GameCube memory cards, in my experience, uh, get corrupted very easily and then they're basically unusable. Right. But the thing is, there's a whole, um, there, there are tons of aftermarket uh, replicas that you can buy. Um, and actually, my understanding is most of the, uh, you know, quote unquote, official uh, GameCube memory cards that you can still find on the market that uh, look like the originals are actually uh, forgeries. Mm, yeah. Because uh, Nintendo ain't making those anymore. <laughs> right. <laughs> Third parties will probably have to stave our bacon. And and that might be okay. Like for my dad's 64th birthday, I bought him a brand new Nintendo 64 controller. And it was off-brand, but it was very good. So hopefully we'll have that same kind of option available to us for Joy-Con and GameCube memory cards uh, into the future. Yeah, it may be a while for Joy-Cons because Joy-Cons have a lot of technology in them, and I'm sure that's all patented. Um, It's one of the reasons why you can't get a controller with HD Rumble in it uh, that isn't straight from Nintendo, because Nintendo has a patent for that. So I think Mm. a patent lasts 15 years, uh, which is one of the reasons why... uh, there was a, a moment where there was like a bunch of uh, 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 machines that were being sold all of a sudden that could play NES games. Oh, okay. Like the you know those those retro uh, consoles. It's because the patent ran out on the machine, and so it's like, oh, now we can reverse engineer the NES and start making those, uh, making our own version of those. Yeah. I think they're starting to do that with N64s um, now, which is a little curious. It took them this long, but I suppose the N64 is uh, a more complicated machine, and it's my understanding is the architecture is a little uh, idiosyncratic. We've already mentioned all of the case studies. What's Nintendium? Oh, Nintendium. That's an old inside joke among Nintendo fans. Uh, about how Nintendo consoles were made out of a special, uh, uh, like, polymer uh, formula, whatever, 
that was uh, super tough and durable. Oh. It sounds like if you change a few letters, it could also be a medical condition like Nintendo elbow or thumb. You got uh, Nintendo, Nintendo elbow thumb, from yeah. something, right? Nintendo thumb was... is having blisters on your thumb. Mm-hmm. Though I, in my experience, it's a lot easier to get Nintendo thumb from a PlayStation controller than it's a Nintendo <laughs> <laughs> controller because their their D pads are not good. Mm-hmm. Okay, so if we had to boil down the do's and don'ts to one do and one don't for durability, what would you say? Um, I would say do you prioritize longevity. Uh, as someone who is a big fan, and you know, longevity is a hard thing to plan for. I I know because it's it's like how do you make something last thirty plus years? That's that's kind of a tricky question because you don't really know if it works until you've gotten to the thirty year mark. But um, that would be as someone who's kind of concerned about the preservation of games and systems and making sure that people can play these things. That would be the one that I would prioritize. Um, and it typically comes with all of the other caveats of durability. And don't? Um, don't leave a design flaw in when it's very clearly a problem, uh, <laughs> like with the Joy-Con drift, because now Nintendo is receiving multiple class action lawsuits about that. I know, and I think that the way they're handling it is kind of shady, but makes sense from a business perspective. Like, they're not admitting that there's a problem, because if they did, there would be even bigger legal ramifications. But they're just saying, if you break your controller, we'll fix it for free. Kind of appeasing the customer without alerting the lawyers. Yeah, but still, I... I... They don't have to admit that there's a problem. They just have to fix it. You know, right. it's, it's like when, when you're doing a job, uh, if yeah. you break something, you fix it and not tell anyone it was broken in the first <laughs> place. And if you do a good job, no one's none the wiser. <laughs> That's true. Yeah. Why is there not a s- subtle secret Joy-Con 2.0 that just fixes it? By now? Yeah, it's like an- they, they made the battery more. Fi- well, I think what they actually did was they installed a more efficient CPU and which mm-hmm. extended the battery life. I mean, they did that for the, the Switch, so why can't they just do that for the Joy-Con? It's insane that the problem persists in Switch lights, that your entire handheld has to be sent in for repairs for kind of an inevitable problem. It happened to my nephew, and he wasn't able to play a Switch for like three, four weeks, so... Shame, Nintendo, for shame. Don't do that. Yeah. That's the don't. And if, if you are going to have your stuff break constantly, don't do... Nintendo and Apple both do this. And I think they've been... Um, here in the uh, U.S., they've been hit by, like, the... I, I forget who it is, but the Department of, like, Consumer Affairs or whatever mm-hmm. uh, regarding uh, the right to repair. You know, don't, right. don't fight against the right to repair if you're going to make a product that's uh, a little bit flimsy in quality. Mm-hmm. No, because I'd much rather be able to like either go to someplace in town or someplace one town over and just hand it over to somebody nearby than instead of having to send it all the way to uh, their headquarters and then have them redirect it to someone else. I was about to say that I wouldn't call Apple's products flimsy, but then I just thought about how well thin I, I they didn't are mean to and... imply that Apple's products are flimsy. I mean, I take issue with 
Apple products, but it's mostly just the the attitude of Apple users. <laughs> no, offense, no, but they but... are very thin, and some iPads and iPhones have been bendable because of that extreme thinness. And then there were keyboards in the MacBook Pro, which had terrible switches. Anyway, back to Nintendo. Uh, another aspect of form factors is how usable is it? How usable is the console and the controller? That goes hand-in-hand with ergonomics. You can uh, point out my pun in the comments if you'd like to. N64 controller is a perfect use case of that uh, because it had great ergonomics for three-handed aliens. Um, So the N64, I would would look at that and say, gosh, what, what... So I don't think... Even if you had three hands, I don't think it's a good controller because <laughs> um, due to the design, it is really hard to um, hold if you're an adult with large hands like I am. At least I think my hands are a little bit, I don't know. I, I don't know how my hands compare uh, against the average person, but uh, it's it's uncomfortable because like the prongs are kind of if I'm holding the uh, joystick, the prongs are kind of like pressing against the back of my hand. So it feels very cramped. It was a complete hedging of bets. Mm -hmm. Like we don't know if this 3d thing is really going to work out. So we need to have a traditional SNES controller hidden in this in case we need it. Yeah. So, and I can understand that, but I, I have to imagine that there was a better way of doing it than what they did like the gamecube controller i mean that's a better that's a very ergonomic controller and you know that because smash bros players continue to use it years and years after the gamecube has gone off the market but uh that could have been perfect if the d-pad was a little bigger it's not a good d-pad no it's not a good d-pad but um yeah the the thing about the gamecube controller is it's comfortable like i had the gamecube when i was a little kid uh, and I have, like I've said, I've played GameCube games more recently, and it uh, fits in pretty much any size of hand. And I think that's one of the things that uh, people need to be considerate of is, does your uh, controller fit different hand sizes? Like with the N64, it it doesn't. I, I use a, uh, what is it, a Brawler 64? Retro Fighters Brawler controller now. Yeah. Um, just Just because of that. And if people haven't heard of that one, what's the pitch? Uh, so basically, it's an N64 pl- controller that is um, laid out more traditionally. So it's kind of laid out like a GameCube controller, sort of. It, it's got the two-wing design that you would expect from a modern controller, but it has all the buttons for a N64. I think it looks great, and you can buy it wired or wireless now. Huh, I didn't know that it came in uh, wireless yeah pretty neat yeah though i will say um if you're just if we're getting sidetracked by uh product reviews the b button does sometimes get stuck down uh Mm. when i'm doing something that requires a lot of manual dexterity so it's uh playing mischief makers with that thing some of those boss battles get really intense and you know it gets really intense and then your b button gets uh stuck and you have to like kind of wiggle it a little bit while everything's going completely crazy. Like, seriously, look up the boss fights for that uh, game, because <laughs> um, that is sensory overload. 
which I did not know was possible on the N64, but apparently. (laughs) Nobody does uh, buttons quite like Nintendo. They are good at those. I think that the NES controller was not very ergonomic or usable. Uh, Just its squared off edges is not comfortable to hold for long periods of time, but I give them kind of a pass on that one because they were kind of starting something new and all controllers back then were bulky and weird to hold. So yeah, well they fixed it with the, uh, as people call it a dog bone controller. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That one came with the top loader, right? Yes. So what's another example of ergonomics done wrong? Uh, I would say the Wii U isn't particularly comfortable because there's really oh. no way to wrap your fingers around it. You kind of have to curl your fingers up under the, the controller huh yeah i think that the kind the bar that kind of extends down for the shoulder buttons is mm-hmm. nice to have somewhere to rest those fingers oh yeah that's com- fine i'm really more talking about like not so much the top of your i, I don't know like the thumb and index finger i'm talking more like the uh everything yeah on the, the handles the hand. yeah so it should actually have a hole through where you can wrap your fingers yeah around and it just and moreover it just doesn't feel like the plastic doesn't feel good in the hand it feels very um flimsy Mm -hmm. yeah i always worried about poking that screen too because it's not like a nice smartphone like screen like the switch has but it's kind of plastic and feels like you could puncture it how about the uh virtual boy ryan van leer's favorite nintendo system that's about as bad of ergonomics as you can manage to make, I think. Yeah, um, and I, I think the 3DS also had kind of a, not the same issue, but a related issue where you had to be very, like if you had the 3D on, you had to keep your head position very um, still. That's true, and it had horrible ergonomics as far as playing like Kid Icarus Uprising. They had to pack in that entire stand that came with the system oh yeah and then they also released the second analog circle which offset the console i own one of those actually why (laughs) because i wanted to play metal gear solid 3 okay and then uh, then i had two monster hunter games which used it and um honestly it's yeah it's bulky and it's weird and it's not that great but it's it could be worse. I think it has kind of the same issue because it's sort of, um, it, it sort of has the contours like the the Wii U controller, um, and so it has sort of the same issue with you're not really sure what to do with your hands. But right, um, I the games are still better with it than without it. I would say. Speaking of handhelds, I think they might have gone a little bit too small with the Game Boy Micro. I like it, but I hear lots of people just put off by it, and they either didn't give it a chance or sold it because it was just too small to hold. I remember when it first came out, making jokes to my brothers about you have to uh, be very mindful about how you breathe around that thing. (laughs) You don't want to end up uh, accidentally inhaling it. (laughs) I played it recently to play the sequel to Altered Beast that I didn't know existed, and I liked it. I think it's good, but it, get, it does get a lot of flack, so... Does it have a headphone jack? I think so. Okay, so th- that's something I learned 
not that long ago. I never owned the Game Boy Advance SP. And so I found out apparently that thing, If am I correct that the Game Boy Advance SP didn't have a headphone jack? Well, I can't answer about the SP because I never owned one of those. But here's the micro and definitively, yes, has a headphone jack. Okay. All right. It's small, it's portable, and speaking of portability, all of hand, all of Nintendo's handhelds, you could say, are portable, but some more than others, and they've even tried to make some of their consoles portable, like the GameCube handle. What was up with that, Glenn? So, given the fact that the GameCube, uh, I think, was the last Nintendo system made out of Nintendonium, uh you know, it has that same plastic that they use for the N64 and the um, the Super Nintendo. Uh, I, I think the handle was intended for self-defense situations where if someone, like, breaks into your house, you could just grab the uh, the GameCube and bean someone over the, the head with it. That could work, especially if you get a corner. Yeah, especially. Well, that, that helps me sleep better because I always thought I did not have a self-defense weapon, but... I'm glad to learn that I do. <laughs> yeah, just sleep with the GameCube under your pillow. <laughs> <laughs> what was their actual thought, like the use case, uh, that people would carry their GameCube from house I think to house? it was, but the problem with the GameCube is it has so many wires that you'd have to detach that it just isn't practical. Yeah, I don't really understand it. I mean, it's not good to carry disk systems. But maybe with the way that the disc kind of clicked in, that wouldn't have caused damage? Yeah, I don't think the disc would be damaged by being carried around like that, um, especially if it's not uh, turned on and spinning. I mean, if, if your GameCube is um, activated and powered on while you're walking down the streets, <laughs> uh, I I would like to know what, what you're doing <laughs> I, I would like to see that. Maybe if it was a LAN-capable system, but I think if somebody wanted to play their game with a friend or play co-op at someone else's house or something, you would just bring your memory card or controllers. Mm -hmm. I guess I'm assuming that there's another GameCube at the place you're going to, but anyway, if you're not, everything's probably in a backpack for the cables and controllers and stuff anyway, so... Yeah. Swing and a miss. That was weird. But overall, I think they do a good job of making their systems portable. I appreciate that the Switch runs off cartridges so that you can carry it around without worrying about your games rattling around. Yeah, that whole um, gyroscopic centrifugal force thing would, would make it a little bit weird to uh, hold it yeah. um, while it, it was weeding from the disc. Are there any don'ts that you can think of as far as portability? Uh, don't assume that people are going to carry around a console that is wired to the television and has wired controllers. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> like, seriously, it, it, it's not a terrible idea at face value, but the, the issue ultimately becomes that it's because of the way it has to be set up. Really, the, what, what limits portability is set up, in my opinion. Mm -hmm. Like, it's not hard to pick up a Wii U and carry it around. It's not hard to pick up a Wii and carry it around. I've transported Wiis many times, uh, too, because I, for the longest time, I didn't have broadband at my house, at my parents' house, I should say. 
And so, you know, I, I've done everything from like lugging around a CRT television, a small CRT television to places so that I could use the so shop channel to, um, uh, and for those of you who read the blog, this should sound familiar, but uh, to hooking up my Wii to my family's uh, minivan, which had a, like a <laughs> DVD player and a fold down screen. Uh, so that I could drive it to some place with uh, Wi-Fi that wasn't password protected and download yes. games off of that. That's a great story. Can you remind me how you powered the Wii? I bought a, um, a, a AC adapter, or um, I think they call it a power inverter when it's a, mm -hmm. for a vehicle. Which is so if you're looking for a way to play uh, to like charge something just in general uh, through a, a car charge port you can just look up power inverter though i think nice. most cars like my car now has like usb ports mm -hmm. for charging devices and that did not blow a fuse huh that's that's pretty nice no uh, i will say one aspect that could be better on the portability of the switch can you guess it um my immediate in inclination is the dock because it has wires running to it. Oh, that's true. Yeah, so I'll touch on that first then. The dock is not fun to pack around because it does feel flimsy, and if it was 20 30 bucks, whatever, it can be flimsy. But If it were 20 that... 30 bucks, I wouldn't bother packing it up. I'd just buy a second one and keep sure. it wherever I was planning on taking it. Absolutely, but as a $90 product, it feels like it could be kind of squished inwards and bent just by the nature of being in a bag. So it feels better to keep the switch inside of it to keep it from kind of folding inwards. But the dock could be more portable. I decided today I am going to buy the Genki Covert dock. Mm -hmm. It's like the size of a plug-in that goes into the wall. And you just plug USB-C from that into your switch and then hdmi from that into the tv and that's all you need so uh wish me luck that that does not break my system but um they have they've been selling them for over a year and there aren't, aren't reports of it being dangerous so uh what i would improve about the switch's portability is the kickstand it's a very cheap kickstand it comes out if it gets bre breathed on by the breath that blew past the game boy micro and I see why they did it. I see why they make it break off easily so that it doesn't snap any hinges. But it doesn't leave your switch at a good angle. It's kind of lopsided not being in the center. And uh, I just applied a skin to my switch because the back was kind of scratched and smudgy. So mm -hmm. I got a skin from Dbrand and they had a piece for the kickstand. I put that on but just like a little bit too high to where the skin actually gets like crumpled up in the kickstand. So I thought about redoing it and then I just remembered, oh yeah, I'm, I hate this kickstand and I'm never actually going to pull it out. So this is fine. <laughs> yeah. Is there like um, an aftermarket stand that you can buy that you can just like yeah. slide it? Okay. I, I was going to say that seems like something that someone would make like within the first six months of the product being out there on the market. So you're saying kind of like an easel for your switch? Yeah, switch. Yeah, the the well, you would think we're sponsored, but Genki makes a really good one for ten bucks or whatever. 
And Would I, we I accept their sponsorship if someone offered? Uh, if we like their product, we've done one sponsorship before, which was like that dock uh, mount that went behind your TV. Oh, okay. Ryan Van Leer did that. They were really nice. We didn't even. Uh, they like rounded up our commission just because they liked the video that we made. So that was very nice of them. And I'm sure it was very small to begin with, so they were generous. Uh, okay, should we get talking about some accessories? Um, yeah, and this kind of goes into portability, actually, so it bridges the gap. Mm. Uh, the what, what do you think about like um, carrying cases for portable games? Because every portable system I've ever owned, had, I've always gotten a carrying case for it. I have been kind of reluctant to just because it's so expensive to buy a new console in the first place historically but yeah i've i've started to now get into buying carrying cases and i have a couple of good ones for switch depending on the uh the occasion i like my satisfy case which holds the switch a bunch of games accessories the satisfy grip that it slides into and then it actually also has space for a big uh, portable battery. So I love it. Yeah, which, that's which... typically one of the first things I get is a, a carrying case. And I try to make it so that I can carry pretty much everything all together. Mm-hmm. Um, I didn't do that with my DS, oddly enough. My DS, I have like three different cases for my DS. Uh-huh. But thankfully, they all fit in this um lunchbox mario lunchbox that i got for christmas and the lunchbox came with one of the carrying cases oh <laughs> so, interesting yeah um maybe maybe i should like just do a, a uh kind of a walkthrough of my my ds setup there but yeah so it i can i can carry it all around in a lunch uh lunchbox thankfully uh so it, it has one carrying case but then you open it up and it has a bunch of other <laughs> cases inside of it Anybody who's trying to rob you would be very confused. Uh, yeah. <laughs> okay, memory cards. Yeah, so back in the day, uh, and I guess this only really applies to the GameCube, for Nintendo fans at least, it only applies to the GameCube, and to lesser extent the N64. But there was a time where if you bought a system and you got the games you couldn't actually save your game. <laughs> yeah. And I remember I did that. Uh, we, when I first got, uh, or really my brothers and I first pooled our money together to get a GameCube, we weren't able to get uh, a memory card. So for like the first four months, we weren't able to save our, our games. <laughs> you got to know the first levels really well. Mm-hmm. So... Um, yeah, that's that, and that that was really, that was a really lame time in history. Where, <laughs> and going back now, it's you know I, I've already mentioned that those memory cards don't exactly, um, they don't always hold up. I think I've heard that plugging your um, GameCube memory card into a Wii makes it more likely to fail. Oh wow, I did not know that. Yeah, so I've heard a couple different theories. Some people say it's um, because the Wii never shuts off completely. Um, it just goes into sleep mode. It has something to do with overheating. 
Though I've also heard some people claim that it has to do with the Wii 20, like 24 Connect or whatever. We Connect 24. Yeah, We Connect 24, which you don't need turned on anymore because it's mm. not actually connecting to anything. Nintendo shut that service down. We Connect so, Zero. Wah, yeah. Wah. I, I'm, I'm getting a little bit lost in the weeds, I know, but I think what's going on is that it happens to the uh, to the higher capacity ones. I think it's because all the pieces are kind of crammed together and they're not properly shielded from radio mm-hmm. waves. I think it may be that the we constantly communicating uh, interacts with the the circuitry and uh, it causes interference. Oh, wow. that messes it up. That's my <laughs> my hypothesis. I um, I don't have any um, anything to back that up. But well, add me to your list of hypothesis supporters. That sounds reasonable. I, I do remember Nintendo tried to make memory cards easier to bring around because they built spaces for them into GameCube game. Oh, yeah, the dual cases. So one prime example was Animal Crossing for the GameCube. I think that one actually not only came with a spot for a memory card, but you got a memory card with it when you bought the game. Well, because it ate up an entire memory card. Yes. (laughs) Like they actually, if you could figure out how to store another file on that memory card, they actually rewarded you in-game with a free NES game. Really? Yeah, that's like the easiest way to get your first NES game in Animal Crossing is it's like, oh, you somehow managed to sneak another file onto this memory card? (laughs) Well, that deserves a reward right there. (laughs) That's cool. That's awesome. Yeah. Um, And I guess while we're talking about memory memory failing uh, in Nintendo systems, you know, cartridges had had their problems too because battery backups required a battery to, uh, to be charged. To constantly keep because mm. again, I I want to explain why that is, but basically, um, it used a memory unit that required a little bit of power to keep the information alive. It wasn't like a hard drive which doesn't need power. Yeah, but um, yeah. Fortunately, those batteries are really easy to replace because it's like a, just a regular dry cell that you would mm. put in your watch or whatever. But still. And ever since we Nintendo has moved to SD cards and micro SD cards now with the Switch, so that's nice that it's kind of standardized. But back to the N64, I will say I never quite figured out that system. I was probably too, just too young and naive, but I remember it always being a gamble. Like, is my save on the system or is it on this memory card? And then can I use a memory card and a rumble pack at the same time? Or it's just like all a big vague blur to me do you know how this works yeah so some developers cheaped out on battery backup memory and so you could and typically this was like games that were cross-platform as i as i remember so the playstation used memory cards and it's like okay let's just do the same thing with the n64 so Mm. yeah the memory cards they plugged into the controllers because the controllers had the little port so no you couldn't use a rumble pad with a memory card um that's so lame. Yeah, and so most games didn't do that, thankfully. Um, I know one game, which was not cross-platform, that I owned that did that was uh, Buck Bumble. Mm-hmm. <laughs> that was a thing. You have an article on that, right? Yep. Well, if that brought back any memories to anybody, just hearing that name, you should go to twobuttoncrew.com and search for that blog. 
Okay. Let's talk yeah, about that was the game that I think convinced me to uh, to get a uh, the retro brawler or retro fighters mm. brawler controller because yeah. uh, that it requires you to do some fine manipulation of the N sixty four control stick and at that point <laughs> it's like okay I'm never doing this again <laughs> right oh man so one of the things Nintendo is known for is innovation whenever they're designing a new console they're thinking about how do we innovate. And sometimes that births gimmicks like we waggle, and sometimes that's something truly amazing, like the ability to have any game docked or portable. So, Glenn, what are your thoughts on how necessary innovation is, and your thoughts on how Nintendo has implemented that from console to console? So I guess the question ultimately is how, how do we define necessary? Because I don't mm-hmm. think that the PlayStation has really innovated since the first one. I um, don't think so. You could make an argument for the new DualSense controller, which might have just dethroned Nintendo's Pro Controller for a best controller. You can make an argument for PSVR, but that wasn't really their invention. It's just a good implementation of VR. But... Uh, yeah, I agree with what you're saying. For the most part, they're just increasing the graphics and increasing some technical capabilities. Yeah, and they seem to have done well for themselves. So I guess from a business perspective, it isn't 100% necessary. But at the same time, I would be really sad to see Nintendo not trying to innovate. So I don't think every console needs to have a, a hook, so to speak, like the Wii did or the Wii U. Um, I think sometimes it's better just to have a good console that has a, um, a, a really good form factor and good games and is simple, simple to use and understand. Now, having said that, I think, I think I prefer systems, not so much like the, uh, the DS or the Wii, but I think I prefer it when Nintendo makes systems like the 3DS or the Switch where they have all of these cool features, like the Joy-Cons being the Swiss Army knife of expensive uh, pack-in technology, or the 3DS having the gyro and the 3D uh, in the screen and all that, but those things aren't necessary. They're not like a core part of the system's identity. They're just something extra that you can uh, developers can take advantage of. I think that's really... And sometimes you do need to go big, uh, or if, if you're going to do a concept, you need to go all in with the concept, I guess I should say. You know, not that you need to implement the concept in the first place. Mm-hmm. but So I, I think really more like that, um, that playfulness of, okay, we're going to make a system that d- can be used for, the, for more conventional games, but we're also going to put in the option for uh, weird, weird stuff. Yeah. I think that couple things here have you heard my theory on how every other nintendo system is revolutionary yeah i i think we've spoken about it like two or three podcasts ago mm-hmm. so same thing here just super brief recap i think the nes was innovative being able to play arcade games at home they iterated that on the snes by improving the graphics and having more buttons on the controller N64 went back to revolutionary, bringing in a whole new dimension of gaming and more 
controllers, more people being able to play at once. And then GameCube just iterated on that, better graphics, more buttons on the controller. Wii was revolutionary with... Uh, Wii uh, was revolutionary. Yep. Wii was revolutionary with motion controls, pointers, lots more. Wii U just kind of iterated on it. That one, the line is blurry because they did try to innovate with the controller but as for the console it was i mean the controller was really just like trying to bring the uh the ds to home consoles in my opinion Mm -hmm. so it's kind of just cribbing another cribbing the handheld scene yep and then switch was revolutionary so i think whatever their next console will be will be an iteration on switch for sure but wii u is an interesting case study because i think they did go too far with trying to innovate how gameplay would work with the second screen, we're going to have asymmetrical gameplay, change the way people play games, and it really shot themselves in the foot with just making it difficult for developers to make games for the thing. And even Nintendo themselves had trouble utilizing the hardware. Like, if you think about how Star Fox Zero came out, Miyamoto didn't even have a proper vision for how the gamepad would make games better. Yeah, and I think that really is the issue, is just that in the case of the Wii U, it just was not a great concept. Right. Because, um, like, the DS, it, I was skeptical of the DS when it first came out, but the DS kind of makes a lot more sense, because the cl- screens are so much closer together, you can actually keep your eye on uh, one or the other mm-hmm. pretty easily, and it just takes a, a glance to switch between the two. With uh, Wii U, eh, not not so much. Totally. And even Reggie admitted this a couple weeks ago. There was an interview out with him saying the Wii U was a failure in a lot of ways. It was just a necessary step to get to Switch. So they realized we're close to something here, but we need a major breakthrough to have this be effective. Mm-hmm. And that's why the dock just completely blocks the screen of the switch as they try to communicate like we are not doing two screens again <laughs> do you remember we had a small dock where you could actually see the screen and it could give you advertisements and stuff no uh wh- no what there's a charging dock oh well of... yeah I, I remember the charging dock for the controller mm-hmm Yep, and then it can turn on and let you know that there's a sale or something like that. Oh, yeah, it did do that, didn't it? So Switch totally could have done that as well, but they did a hard 180-degree turn from Wii U methods, so probably wise. What's the other main thing that got Wii U in trouble, Glenn? Uh, well, the Wii U was poorly marketed. Uh, a lot of folks just did not know what it even was supposed to be. They thought it was an add-on for the Wii. Primarily due to its E3 unveiling. If you go back and watch that, it's pretty painful, and you don't even see the console minutes into the presentation. So they talked about the gamepad most of the time. It shared a name in part with the previous console. And then when you actually do see the console, the Wii U, it just looks like the black Wii. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, and it. 
like I said before, I tend to be kind of skeptical of new new gameplay ideas. Like when the Wii came out, I looked at it and I went, really? Mm. And then when the Wii U comes out, I, I look at it and it's like, okay, you know, the Wii turned out better than I thought, but that is just like, <laughs> that just seems like a rehash of the DS. Like you're not even coming up with anything that unique. Right. So, mm. So Switch, they totally changed their marketing strategy. And one thing that was noticeable right away, it went the Karen trailer. You remember Karen? Antisocial Karen? Yes. Yeah, I think but, I, I posted like some fan art of her on the Discord back yes. when we still had a Discord. Yes. All of the actors were young adults. They were cool, hip young adults that even if they aren't, exactly the target audience for switch it's a smart marketing move because that's what kids look up to and see and want to be like yeah that's something that's kind of surprised me looking at like cartoons nowadays is there's this notion of oh it's for kids so it has to start kids and i remember like when i was a kid yeah some tv shows start kids but some tv shows marketed towards kids start adults like um, scooby-doo well i mean they're they're teenagers but yeah same basic concept uh, mm-hmm. scooby-doo johnny bravo i mean that right. was more comedic but you know it's like johnny bravo is clearly uh, somewhere in probably his early 20s mm-hmm. and so i i think it's really weird that we have this notion that uh oh well kids can only enjoy media that is about children <laughs> yeah and nintendo's marketing took a big shift between the launches of Wii U and Switch, and that's just Nintendo Directs. So they went from doing live E3 reveals for their new hardware where things could go wrong. I'm I'm remembering Reggie doing the zombie face that kept flickering in and out using the Wii U to really polished, scripted, edited, do as many takes as you need to, Nintendo Directs, and that has really strengthened their marketing and you know that it's working because every company in the industry is copying them Mm -hmm. state of play ubisoft forward i don't remember all the names but every company has one now and that's pretty rare i think when nintendo innovates a marketing strategy they're historically known for innovating their consoles but also for being behind in marketing so it's just good to see them actually get to this one first how do you think they did that? Like, why why did they feel the need to switch to Nintendo Directs and to be the first company to start marketing that way? Gee, I don't really know marketing because that requ- would require me to understand uh, people, and I don't like people. <laughs> but um, I think it, it's probably just a matter of it's probably easier, simpler, and we, uh, it's it's harder for things to go wrong. Like with mm-hmm. the the Wii U, the marketing of it just uh, from the E three presentations didn't work. Yeah. So it's it's probably Nintendo is definitely a company that likes to control the flow of information. They like to have a lot of control over basically their entire pipeline. So I think probably it just, they look at it and it's like, okay, how, how do we prevent things from going sideways? Right. I think you're totally right. They just had one too many stage flubs 
I think there are examples of Zelda tech demos not working very well with the pointer, uh, Miyamoto and Biltrin and uh, Nate Beldorf just not being able to do that. And I, I remember Biltrin making a joke about Apple's press conference and saying, like, if you have laptops, please turn them off. So they would try to take it in stride and turn it into a humorous thing in the moment. But I can imagine just getting off the stage and being like, we can't let this kind of thing keep happening. So... Any other marketing examples? I mean, they used to have Nintendo Power as a somewhat in-house marketing arm, which is kind of interesting for a magazine with reviews. And now that's come back as a podcast. You you still listen to that, right? Um, it goes into my listen to later uh, mm-hmm. playlist, and then I don't listen to it later. <laughs> uh, I, I, I went through a while ago because... Uh, through some of my listen to later playlists and I was listening to the Nintendo Power podcast and it's like, oh, this was from two years ago. <laughs> so yeah. I do listen to it. It just takes me forever. Mm-hmm. They do marketing emails. I get those all the time. Usually yeah, archive them right away. We're not here to talk about marketing specifically. We're here to talk about consoles. So, Yeah. Okay. How about console development? and how consoles interact with the developers in the industry because Nintendo is very strong alone with their stable of first-party IP, but they do need third parties to thrive in the industry. Right. And so being a good system for... Making your system good for developers is crucial in this regard. So one of the, you know, the, one, one of the primary concerns is how much is this going to cost? So... Mm-hmm. Um, there's, of course, the cost of the dev kit, and with like um, one of the reasons the Wii was so popular is because it was cheaper to develop for. Uh, the Wii dev kit was about $5,000, if I recall correctly, when it first came out, that is, mm-hmm. compared to the PlayStation 3 and Xbox 360's uh, $20,000 dev kits. Wow. Yeah, and I think they've continued to get cheaper, too. And did you know that the Switch dev kit has an exclusive color of Joy-Con? Yeah, it's it's black, and it only costs four hundred and fifty dollars. So oh, if man. I could, yeah, if I could convince Nintendo um, to sell me one, I I could easily afford one right now. That's amazing. You should go for it. Uh, I think I want to get my first game published before I try to do that because I think they they don't want a bunch of hackers to get <laughs> Switch dev kits. <laughs> oh man. That'd be it's, so cool. It's not exactly but, an, an open platform, but yeah, you know, a, a dev kit doesn't cost any uh, that much anymore, uh, which is part of the reason why it was so appealing to developers is because very mm-hmm. low cost of investment. Um, but the other thing, like speaking of the Switch, uh, not the Switch, the, the Wii, speaking of the Wii is Wii games were very cheap to develop for because the Wii was standard definition and... That's one of the things that people don't really realize is that going from like regular standard definition 3D to HD 3D actually was a bit of a jump for the industry. And so if you like look was, at a yeah. lot of the um, the games that were coming out then and listening to like the, the uh, developer stories, um, that was just because the scope and scale of games increased mm-hmm. a ton between like the GameCube and the... Uh, well, not the GameCube and the Wii. I have to use a non-Nintendo example. Uh, the PlayStation 2 and the PlayStation 3, that was just such a huge leap in terms mm-hmm. of like uh, what you 
the considerations you had to work with because uh, it was the games were so much more powerful and you were expected to have much higher quality assets and the like. Right. I think that was communicated to consumers through a uh, $10 price hike, though. Yeah. But anyway, so development costs are, are definitely one thing. Uh, the other thing to consider is distribution costs. And so that was what really tripped up the N64s because cartridges mm. are a lot more expensive to produce than discs. Right. And so that that cost and, Nintendo a lot of developers, you know, and also the cartridges have less storage space. So you can't make the games quite as big and fancy, but mm-hmm. yeah. Nintendo made this historically difficult for people in the NES days where it's like you have to buy the cartridges from us and they are very expensive and you can only make 5 games a year. Yeah. Do you remember that rule? No, they, I, I definitely th- do. I mean, the five game a, a year rule, I, I'm not a huge fan of stuff, ar- arbitrary caps like that, but I can understand how they came to that decision because what happened to Atari is that mm. you have to understand it in the context of what came before. The video game system was completely, dis- uh, or at least the home console uh, market was completely destroyed uh about a year before Nintendo uh, came on the scene and was destroyed because Atari didn't uh, maintain control over uh, their licensing. So anyone can make Atari games. And uh, the the market got flooded with really terrible games. And so people had no idea whether a game was good or not. And there were too many options available so that that no one company could get enough market share to um to sustain themselves basically Mm -hmm. so it's one of those things where i I look at it's like yeah it's terrible but i guess and if if you take sort of a hobbesian perspective of the market (laughs) (laughs) you kind of you might or you you could argue that it was uh necessary to reestablish things to the point where they were uh, stable enough again i'm i'm not sure i would go that far but um, I, I can understand how someone could reach that conclusion. It did come back to bite well, them, though. So, right. If, if you're not a fan of that, then you know Nintendo did get their comeuppance eventually. <laughs> well, fast forward to today, and there, the ease of development for Nintendo consoles has always been something that has ebbed and flowed. And I think where we're at with the Switch is that it's very easy to develop for. You see indie developers really praising it for that. The dev kit's good. The software's good. Uh, it, it has inputs that match anything from a previous console's buttons to a mobile game's touchscreen. So they're able to do whatever they want with it. But the console is still not powerful enough to have direct ports of today's games. Mm-hmm. And that is something that Nintendo has really never caught up with. And honestly don't seem that interested in doing so you get a lot of switch ports from wii u and its contemporaries and they look and work fine but as far as games that come out today and launch day and date with switch almost zero yeah and that is um 
I, I think that will definitely create a larger gap moving forward now that we're in the next generation of uh, consoles for the other for Nintendo's competitors. I think we're going to see fewer ports. Um, so, I suppose... Speaking of next gen, mm-hmm. what do you think Nintendo should do now that they're in this situation? PS5 and Xbox Series released a few months ago. Not a whole lot of games for them due to COVID mostly but there will be do you think nintendo needs to make an adjustment launch something 4k capable i honestly don't know because nintendo got away with like having the wii that was a huge success Mm -hmm. um so and the switch has been a big success despite being underpowered uh so i'm not i'm not entirely sure what they should do I'm I'm not very good at predicting market trends, to be honest. Well, I think they're happy to be kids' first choice. So Johnny's first console, he gets it. He's able to play Mario and Pokemon on it. He's happy. And then there's some people like me growing up high school age where I was just a Nintendo fan for their first-party stuff. That's all I owned. But I think they're also content being the second choice for some gamers who they have more than one system uh mm-hmm. it's like a ps5 and a switch or an xbox series s and a switch or something like that and they don't they never never say that publicly they never tout that but i think their system is cheap enough where that's actually a viable option on the table yeah and actually i remember um doing a study of the sales numbers for consoles when the wii came out because i wanted to see if the wii had you know, the Wii was a huge success. I wanted to see if it had any impact on the other systems' sales. And what I saw was, no, there was no correlation between Nintendo's success and what the other systems did. So I think people either bought a Wii in a separate system, or uh, they just were selling to completely different de- demographics. Mm-hmm. So I think they'll make a 4K version of the Switch eventually, whether that comes out this year or three or four years from now whenever it's time for the actual next console just because that that'll be kind of the default resolution of that year but i don't think they need to be in a hurry because the install base is huge and it's a fine second console for people who need to have the bleeding edge but the people who want the very best graphics and performance and stuff like that also tend to want the best online experience Mm -hmm. and nintendo continues to not be interested in that so party chat uh stuff like that it's just not there and nintendo doesn't seem to want to pursue it so i think to to try to catch people to catch the interest of gamers with a certain high resolution would be kind of a miss because unless that goes hand in hand with an huge online infrastructure revamp it won't be enough to to court people over right okay so any other thoughts swimming around i I wanted to talk a little bit about like hardware from a development perspective if that's okay okay so um one of the things again we've we've talked about how the switch is really easy to develop for i i remember when it was first coming out developers were saying yeah it took us a week to port it to get a port yeah so 
Uh, and part of that was because of the documentation support Nintendo had for mm. the system. And that was a major um, issue for the Wii U is that the documentation was uh, largely incomplete and it took forever for Nintendo support representatives to get back to developers who had questions. So wow. that's, that's definitely a do for your console is have good documentation. And good documentation is surprisingly rare in um, the software world as, as someone mm-hmm. who... Uh, is is a programmer. Um, I, I've, gosh, I, I've had some times where I've had to like just open up source code to see what something does because it's not explained anywhere in the documentation. Wow. Uh, it's just like, okay, wh- what is this function actually doing? <laughs> uh, but <laughs> uh, also the uh, an- another instance of the Wii U is the Wii U. Okay, so this is this is really important. Have a architecture, so like your your CPU and how that it relates to the rest of the system. Have an architecture that actually makes sense. Mm. That is surprisingly a surprisingly common mistake. So uh, systems that, that have made that mistake, uh, the Sega Saturn. It had two uh, processors, two CPUs. Wow. And that was a time before parallel programming was a, a commonplace in consumer electronics. And so nobody knew how to get these two CPUs to communicate with one another. So they, they couldn't figure out how to properly utilize the power of the Saturn. A Nintendo example is the Wii U did something very similar. It had a main CPU and then it had another CPU that was meant to be a supporting piece of hardware. And I think it was meant to like handle graphics applications and kind of work for with the uh, help communicate with the uh, tablet but again people didn't know how to do something with two CPUs so that's that's something I would recommend not doing uh, and the PlayStation 3 actually it had like six cores for its CPU and nobody at the time knew how to do that because again that was like when multi-core CPUs were first becoming popular so that's why playstation 3 games had a tendency to be really glitchy when uh the system first came out is because nobody knew how that works um a system that had a a good architecture would be the um uh the nintendo wii because it was basically just the gamecube so if you already knew how to make a gamecube game you could just uh, you could work on the wii because it was basically just a gamecube that was twice as powerful Yes, that's handy. So just you know, be be very considerate towards um, how your system is constructed and how easy it is to program. That's that's definitely a do of console design. Good. Thank you, Glenn. It's always interesting to hear. I mean, that's some of the most interesting stuff that Nintendo fans just don't hear. Like, how are the software development kits? How's the documentation on them? Yeah. So, I think we've already I'm talked fascinated. about uh, game size as well. So, you know, cartridges. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's, uh, I guess, speaking of cartridges, that's also going back to production costs. That's where the infamous switch tax comes from is because those game cards are slightly more costly to produce than discs. Yep. But if you think about it, you're getting the home and portable version in one. So that's, that's the cost, I suppose. Okay, there we go. I think we've covered the do's and don'ts of console design and successfully predicted the next Nintendo console. 
somewhere in there we did <laughs> we'll just claim it okay thank you so much for listening you can follow us on social media at two button crew spell it out t-w-o button crew and we don't post too often you're not gonna get your feed blown up at all but we will let you know if we have an upcoming live stream or a new episode a new review or a new blog entry and speaking of the blog there's a lot of good things that you can go back and read we tried to make the blog entries so that they don't get old and expire with news that's not relevant anymore but their opinion pieces or historical things that are always fun to go and look at so that's twobuttoncrew.com slash blog yeah and there's also some uh, if you liked my uh rambling about technology there are a few articles there that uh, explain how video games work uh, under the hood so if you're interested in that uh, i think the most recent one i did which was a couple of years ago is called uh loading questions Mm-hmm. So if you're interested in how memory is managed in a, uh, and why memory has to be managed in uh, video games, you know that, that's a good place to start. Yep, I like the one that explains what is 8-bit mm. versus 16-bit or something like that. And people are getting really confused these days. I've just been noticing on podcasts more when a game comes out in a pixelated art style, these Nintendo fans, podcast hosts, just say things like, you know, it's 8-bit or 16-bit, something like that, but they don't actually know how to identify it anymore. So, uh, like Cyber Shadow, that happened with uh, by Yacht Club Games. So I, I think it's better to just, at, you know, just as a aside, I think it's better to just describe them in terms of what console they're trying to emulate. Yeah. Because, <laughs> like, if you have some experience with uh, quote-unquote 16-bit games... Uh, Sega Genesis graphics look very different from Super Nintendo graphics. That's true. And Game Boy games look totally different than NES games. Mm-hmm. And then another thing you can do if you'd like to get in on the TPC fun is just submit an idea for an episode. We have a handful of podcast ideas, but would always love more. Mm-hmm. What do you think, Glenn? Yeah. Are we running uh, out? If you're interested in uh, hearing our opinions on uh, an old classic or something more general like what we did today, uh, just send, uh, drop me a line at uh, Glenn, that's G-L-E-N, at twobuttoncrew.com. And, uh, you know, if it's something that we have uh, thoughts and opinions on, we'll, uh, we'll make an episode on it. Glenn's other email that he really likes people to use is Glennis. G-L-E-N-A-C-E at 2 That actually works, and he, he loves it when people use that, right? Would I even know if someone sent it to that one? Because it just redirects to the other one. Uh, you have to look at the two. The two line. Okay. Sure, <laughs> I... You know, you, you you'd think tell. I would know how all this works, considering I hold an advanced degree in pure science, but apparently not. <laughs> I think you prefer not to think about those aliases I gave you. Anyway, thank you. Uh, the more I learn for... about computers, the more I'm convinced that it, it runs on some uh, some form of magic. <laughs> yeah, just just voodoo. Thank you for outlining this and uh, for editing, and uh, thanks to your relative for making our intro and outro music. I love that song. Oh well, yeah, it's uh, I it turned out really really well 
I don't know if we ever officially shouted her out. So thank you, Katie. Mm-hmm. And uh, enjoy that right now. See you guys next time. Bye. 